This is Comer Shenanigans, episode 732, flashback to November 1983. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 732. It's my flashback episode. This time, we're going back to November 1983. Uh, A lot further than the last few, where we went, I think, what, first... Uh, 10 years, then 15 years, then 20 years. Uh, now we're going back 36 years. Um, so I'm doing this for two reasons. One, um, actually three reasons. One is I was trying to think of, you know, what, what would be fun to talk about this week before we get back into doing some interviews. Um, going to, in the next little while, I'm going to be talking with Ben Rabb, with Ron Friends, um, and with um, Jim Kruger. Um, so that's a, a great lineup of different creators. I'm really excited about all of them. Um, so in the meantime, let's, before we can get into all that fun stuff let's do one more flashback episode like i've bemoaned on many other future uh, sorry past episodes i should say um i have bemoaned uh, many times if the, the fact that comic book db one of my favorite websites in terms of uh being able to do this podcast and do some excellent research and being able to sort uh credits by writers chronologically which i think you can do on comics.org now but i'm trying to look and see where other places i can go um for that data but i've been loving comic book db so as a kind of a goodbye to comic book db i've been doing these flashback episodes this will be the fourth one i guess uh where i've basically just looked at books cover dated a certain month and year and kind of opined about those books where those books were at that time the creative teams that were working on them etc um for the most part it's been stuff within my lifetime thus far and stuff that i have personal connections to this will be a little bit of a different one and maybe a little bit shorter as a result there weren't as many comics released in november 1983 um so why am i talking about that particular month and year well that's the the month and year that i was born so i just recently turned 36 back in november 29th um, so I thought, you know what, let's 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 dial it as far back as, as my lifetime, at least, and look at some of the titles that were coming out the, the year I was born. It's kind of like those um, Twitter challenges you'll sometimes see where people be like, you know, put four issues of comics that came out the month you were born type of thing. Uh, so it's interesting to kind of look at what was being published. Um, you know, what, which, who was working where. It's kind of interesting to kind of look back. Uh, some of the stuff I might have more of a connection to, some books I have read, um, but some of it's just going to be more interesting kind of uh, slices. So, like, first up, Action Comics, issue 549. Again, this is, I guess, pre-crisis. Um, you had Carrie Bates writing it, but what I found more interesting is that the artist is none other than Alex Saviak. Uh, so that would have been a very young Alex Saviak. The cover, however, is by Gil Kane. Uh, so looking at the cover doesn't really tell you anything about what it would look like within, but I uh, I mean, I obviously knew that Saviak wasn't always a Marvel man, but it's weird because I think of him so much as being tied to Spider-Man and, uh, you know, working on Marvel for so long that it's hard to even remember that, you know, he worked for, you know, DC and was at Action Comics. Uh, we had All-Star Squadron 27 came out. It was uh, A Spectre is Haunting the Multiverse by Rory Thomas and Richard Howell. Um, again, interesting to look back. Uh, back when, you know, they used to do multiverse stories before they kind of rendered it uh, all gone, not that long after this, which is very interesting to think of. Um, you know, that they were still, this was still being published, and, you know, you're still in the middle of having those types of uh, multiversal stories going on. Uh, you had the, the fourth issue of Alpha Flight, 
Uh, so this is by when he was penciling and inking and uh, also doing the writing for Alpha Flight. Uh, the, this particular cover is, uh, has Marina on the cover and someone grabbing a globe and she's kind of attached to the globe. Um, you know, I have to admit, as a Canadian, I should I feel like I should have watched, or sorry, uh, read more Alpha Flight, and I haven't. Um, I've read more of the modern stuff, I guess, but the, the the kind of the classic run by John Byrne, I don't think I've read much of it, or at least I don't retain, I haven't retained much of it in my head, uh, which is kind of crazy considering how important it is. Um, speaking of, you know, an important run and era, you had Amazing Spider-Man 246, you had Roger Stern with John Amita Jr., uh, only a couple issues away from having Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco take over. Uh, you were only, what, like maybe, what, five months removed from having the black costume introduced, uh, or at least making its appearance in Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, this is always a, a great cover I liked. Uh, I don't even remember what happens in the story. It says, it has J. Jonah Jameson in what looks to be some sort of track gear, uh, punching Spider-Man, saying, I've dreamed of this moment for years, Spider-Man, now at last. J. Jonah Jameson is triumphant uh, and what a great outfit he's wearing uh, the cover is by John Romita Jr. It's interesting, that, at least that's the cover credit. But if you look at the Spider-Man art, like it doesn't really look like Spider-Man. Like I, I think the rest of it, you know, I can see the JRJR here, especially in the background characters, uh, even in J. Jonah Jameson. But and Spider-Man himself doesn't quite look like what I would remember or think of uh, JRJR Spider-Man actually looking like. So it's interesting to kind of look at that. Um, a lot of books I don't recognize, or at least I know of, but haven't really ever seen, like Arax, Son of Thunder, um, which is apparently a DC book, but I don't really know of it. Uh, Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld, I know the character exists. I don't know much about her. I've read a bit of the more modern interpretation of the character, but uh, this looks much more, not grown up is the wrong world, but definitely looks very different um, than the vision I have in my brain when it was relaunched not that many years ago. Uh, speaking of, well, I wasn't speaking of the Avengers, but uh, speaking of Roger Stern, he was writing Avengers 237 with Al Milgram and art, with uh, Joe Sinnott inking, and uh, Christy Steele as the colorist, and Joe Rosen on letters. Uh, so this is a part of a, a very acclaimed run that Roger Stern had on the Avengers. Uh, you got Spider-Man on the cover, you got Rhino in here, um, got what, Blackout, Star Fox, Wasp, She-Hulk, uh, was Electro, Captain America, uh, Captain Marvel, the, the Monica Rambeau version. So definitely a very eclectic uh, group on that cover. Uh, switching over to the Bees, we got uh, Batman 365 by Doug, Men- Doug Mensch and Don Newton. Um, and uh, the cover just says Jungle Jeopardy. Uh, again, I, I, I didn't become a DC fan until much further into my, uh, to my uh, fandom in general. And I find a lot of this kind of era Batman maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels like it hasn't really been as reprinted or shown up as much. Um, this kind of interesting, kind of weird period that right before crisis kind of wipes everything over and then we kind of get something more fresh with Batman, or at least a new coat of paint. Uh, this is in the era of the uh, the very new title at the time, Batman and the Outsiders. Issue 4 came out called One Man Meltdown by Mike W. Barr and Jim Aparo. Jim Aparo is an artist who I really love his Batman. I, I, I just love his character, his angles. Uh, there's just something really special about Jim Aparo. Uh, I think as a kid I maybe didn't appreciate it enough, but uh, I've really come to enjoy his... Uh, anytime I see a Jim Aparo piece, it's always really something special. At least I generally feel that way. 
Captain America was hitting issue 287 by the immortal team of Jam Demetrius and Mike Zack, uh, which was uh, obviously leading up to what you'd eventually get with issue 300 with a, a big story for Demetrius. Uh, the cover here is really cool. Um, you got a version of Deathlock. I can't remember which version it is. Uh, looking here, it looks like it's the original Luther Manning version as well as a, another version that was a robot. Um, so very cool stuff. And again, got Mike Zack. Uh, what's not to love? Uh, Mike Zack feels like a, character, uh, a creator who maybe didn't do a lot of work in mainstream comics. Maybe that's just my interpretation is I don't think he did a lot necessarily, but a lot of it was iconic. So it almost didn't matter if the amount wasn't that high because the quality was so high. Uh, a book I never, I've never really read. I've only ever heard of it, and I appreciate how silly it sounds. It's Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. And it looks like they meet the Teen Titans in this particular month. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Captain Carrot and his zoo crew. Uh, speaking of, you know, books that starts with C, we had Cerebus. Uh, I think the last time I was talking about Cerebus, it was about issue 250 or something in 1999. Uh, this is way back when it was only at issue 56, which is kind of crazy, considering how long that title ran for. It was also the second issue of Cloak and Dagger. Uh, this is the second in a four-issue limited series, as it says on the cover, by Rick Leonardi and uh, Bill Mantlo. Um, those, you know, a lot, you know, I feel like Cloak and Dagger are those characters that you either love them or you hate them. I don't think there's a lot of middle ground. Generally speaking, I like them. I, actually, I should not say that there's no middle ground. I feel like I am the middle ground. I feel like I don't necessarily feel any strong way either way, but I feel like a lot of people do. Um, and I think there's hard characters to get right because they have a very kind of iconic idea of them kind of being in this relationship and, and you know, being young. And I think over time, like, they have aged, but it people keep kind of wanting to bring them back to that core idea but it's almost as if they they don't know what to do with them once they get older and aren't in a relationship with the get together how do you make cloak and dagger work and i've seen people do it pretty well but i just feel like it never really seems to last or we always kind of go back to a default um it's interesting why that happens to the characters like that uh conan the barbarian i forget that it started in 1970 uh it was already up to issue 152 at this point uh written by michael lawrence fleischer and uh, penciled by John Buscema, artwork by Michael Golden on the cover. So that's pretty cool stuff. Again, I've never really read a lot of Conan until recently, so uh, I'm always curious to kind of go back and see if I can really enjoy it. I feel like I probably would if I gave it a shot. Uh, a book that I have read and love is Daredevil 200. Um, this is by Denny O'Neill, artwork by William Johnson. I have good memories of it from when I did read it. The cover is by Terry Austin and John Byrne. Um, it has a bloody Daredevil standing over um, really a bad angle on, on uh, Bullseye. But basically, Bullseye finally gets kind of re- retains his movement here or regains his movement after being paralyzed previously in the Frank Miller Daredevil run. And he gets adamantium infused, in, I guess, into his skeleton, from what I recall. Um, I really liked it. It was a good fight with him and uh, Bullseye. I feel like him and Bullseye wouldn't have an actual fight for a long time after this. Uh, he definitely beats the crap out of him, though. And I, think, I believe there's also either in this issue or just the issues leading up to it, there's a very early appearance of um, Yuriko Yoshida, who would later be used as uh, Deathstrike and uh, basically doesn't have any anything in common with how she was written here, what she looks like here, uh, the fact that she's left with Daredevil, like it's, it's just kind of all forgotten. Uh, but if you want to go back and see it, it all happens here. Uh, you have Dazzler issue 29 is here. Uh, this is by Jim Shooter and Frank Springer. Uh, or at least they're credited as the writers, and Frank Springer does the uh, penciled art. And it's got a, a cool cover here, which I feel like that cover was homaged in one of the X Men movies or in a deleted scene or something like that. 
Uh, DC Comics Presents was still running, issue 63, by Gary Kahn and Dan Mishkin, with pencils by Keith Giffen and Alex Saviak. There's Alex Saviak again. It's uh, Superman and Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld. The Man of Steel versus Dark Opal in Worlds to Conquer. Very cool. I, I feel like I would love to go back and read a lot of this old DC stuff. Like, some of it's, you know, maybe throwaway or silly, but I don't know. I kind of miss, I don't know, something about that era of comics I kind of like, even if it's, you know, maybe not the most hard-hitting stories at times. Uh, I don't think everything needs to be either. Um, we had uh, Defenders, issue 125. Again, that's a book I never really got into at all. Uh, and I didn't realize... How like how early that book actually started in 1972, um, and this was by James DeMatteis and D. David Perlin uh, on art. Um, kind of a weird grouping here because you got like you have Angel, you got uh, Beast, uh, you got Moon Dragon, with Valkyrie, Gargoyle. Not what you think of in your mind as maybe the the core defenders um, that you'd like to see in a book. Uh, especially not if you only know the Defenders as a name from the Netflix series, um, which, if that is true, for shame. Uh, next up, we got Falcon Number One. Oof! There's, uh, they're really uh, developing a lot of miniseries at this point. You got the first issue and a four-issue limited series. This one was actually written by Jim Owsley and artwork by Paul Martin Smith. Uh, I've never read it though, so I can't not much to say about it. But it's nice to see that Falcon was actually getting a starring role in a miniseries at this point in time. Uh, you got Fantastic Four 260. Uh, so this is right in the middle of the John Byrne run. Very classic cover by John Byrne. With um, you got uh, Sue, Ben, and Johnny uh, looking over at the rubble and seeing a smoking Doctor Doom mask. Uh, it feels very iconic um, in terms of, of of an overall image for an issue of Fantastic Four. Uh, Flash, I believe, was in the middle of his trial, the longest trial ever, which would eventually uh, lead to the character showing up in Crisis on Infinite Earths and actually being written out and killed. Uh, this is by Carrie Bates and penciled by Carmine Infantino. Um, kind of crazy that Carmine was back illustrating the Flash at this point in time. Uh, it's Judgment Day for the Flash. Will the Justice League let him stay or boat him out? Oof. And uh, it's kind of got a very striking cover because you have Flash in the very middle and you have six different uh, hands either giving variations on uh, maybe thumbs up, uh, thumbs down. It's a very interesting kind of way to to uh, tease it out on the cover. Um, and I found that like I wasn't really sure which hands were which, which was probably a good thing to kind of leave me guessing as to what really happened here. You got uh, this 18th issue of, F- of Fury of Firestorm by Jerry Conway and George Tuska, uh, which definitely looks like a, a, a cool cover. Um, very exciting, good colors. Um, it definitely looks like something that would kind of grab you by, grab your eyes, and I don't know, grab your eyes, but grab your attention at least uh, when you're walking by. Uh, you got GI Joe, a Real American Hero, issue 17. Uh, what else came out? You had Green Lantern 170. Uh, so I'm trying to remember. Green Lantern was, I think, yeah, it was John Stewart at this point. Uh, I think Hal hadn't wasn't completely gone because he's still on the cover, but um, he definitely wasn't Green Lantern at this point, I believe. Uh, moving on, we had Hawkeye number three. So this is not lo- not long before you would have uh, the West Coast Avengers, and this is the series where Hawkeye and Mockingbird came a thing. It's written by Mark Grunewald, uh, penciled by well, the credited pencils on Haw- Comic Book DB anyway are Elliot R. Brown and Mark Grunewald, with inks by Elliot R. Brown and Danny Bilandi. Um Fun. It's got a great cover. Like I just love Hawkeye's classic costume. Um, I'm always sad when we don't really get to see him wear it as much anymore. And even Mockingbird's classic costume too. Even though she's got the ridiculous sleeves that would really get in the way if she was actually trying to do all those things that she does as a superhero. And then uh, Hulk. 
I think Hulk was just was it just the magazine or is this no this is other weird numbered Hulk magazines from different places um, speaking of Hulk though you do have issue number 289 of Incredible Hulk written by Bill Mantlo penciled by Sal Buscema um, and this is I forget which trade this is covered in um, actually I think I can tell that this is included in the no, it's not. I feel like this is in a trade paperback, either regression or pardoned or something. But it looks like it's not actually listed on the comic book DB, uh, which I'm surprised at because usually they're so thorough. Um, but those all during that kind of year long ramp up to uh, issue 300, which is the big throwdown with Hulk and everybody. Uh, you had Iron Man 176. This is during uh, Denny O'Neill's uh, tenure on Iron Man with Luke McDonald on pencils and uh, kind of a, a nondescript cover for the most part. I'm trying to remember though who. It looks like Jim Rhodes was Iron Man at this point, so uh, Tony Stark was uh, not uh, as Iron Man. I, th- I don't know how drunk he was at this point um, in terms of his fall as a character, but he was definitely in the middle of it at this point. Uh, so the character you know, had kind of stepped away, and Jim Rhodes was taking over as Iron Man. It was kind of an interesting arc to put the character through. Uh, Jonah Hex was at issue 78. We got Justice League of America 220. Um this is by Roy Thomas and Chuck Patton. Uh, just looking at it, it looks like they got the Justice League of America and the Justice Society, which is pretty cool. Um, and again, not long after this, they would stop to be able to ever do these types of stories again because they would, you know, destroy that entire world. Uh, you had King Conan, issue 19, written by Alan Zelenitz, uh, a writer I don't recognize the name of at all, but uh, penciled by Mark Silvestri. So I did not know that he worked on a Conan book way back in 1983, or that even Sylvester was around that early. Uh, Legion of Superheroes 305, written by Keith Giffen and Paul Levitz, or at least they're credited as uh, writers on comicbooktv.com, with pencils by Keith Giffen. Um, I forget that how long Giffen has been associated with certain characters and worked on characters like the Legion, just working for DC in general. It's kind of crazy how long it's been. Uh, you had Marvel Age, you had Marvel Fanfare, you had uh, the Marvel Tales starring Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Ham number one. Uh, you should go over and listen to the Epic Marvel podcast feed uh, as they're talking about the uh, the Peter Parker books. Uh, and actually, what Curtis did something really cool is we had uh, various groups of parents and their kids talking about specific issues. Uh, so I was actually able to do issue two with my son, although I felt like I did most of the talking and was just trying to cajole my son and actually saying anything. But um, So you should uh, go check out that podcast and uh yeah it was uh, an interesting book i'd never really read a lot of uh peter porker so it was definitely eye-opening at the very least um marvel tales was still ongoing at this point in time which was reprinting old spider-man tales this particular issue is reprinting amazing spider-man 19 by stanley and steve ditko um i years later would get a few issues of marvel tales uh, and I really enjoyed them. And it was, uh, I remember, I've talked about this before, but I remember reading them during, it was the, I guess the summer of Maximum Carnage. And I was reading Marvel Tales as well, uh, with some Ron Friends art and just loving it. Um, we had Moon Knight issue 34 came out. We had New Adventures of Superboy 47. Uh, this is, looks like it has two stories. Uh, and one of them was by Al- Paul Kupperberg and guess what? Alex Saviak. Man, he was busy. Uh, this particular month. You had New Mutants number nine, so that was still a, a pretty new book on the block by Chris Claremont and Sal Buscema. Uh, the cover is kind of nondescript in some ways. Uh, not that exciting. I, I don't know if I would have wanted to pick it up based on what I saw here. Uh, new Teen Titans hit issue 36. This is uh, by Marv Wolfman and Keith Pollard in this particular issue. What a striking cover, though. Um, 
little hard to see maybe, but definitely very cool by George Perez. So uh, he may not have been doing the interiors, but he was at least doing the uh, the cover. Uh, we had Power Man and Iron Fist was inching closer and closer to issue 100. It was at issue 99 by uh, an early uh, credit with a Kurt Busiek and uh, Ernesto Chan on art. Uh, I forgot that Kurt Busiek was working for Marvel that early. I don't even know how he got there. Like, I just, when I think of Kurt Busiek really exploding in my mind, it was, you know, in the 90s. Um, obviously, he was around a long time before that, but I just didn't realize he was working on a book back in 1983. Let's um, see, so we got Savage Sword of Conan, number 94. Uh, so I guess this was the the magazine style, and it was, you had stories by a bunch of different creators. Um, so I. I'm not going to go through all of that right now. You had uh, Sergeant Rock. I didn't realize maybe it took over numbering at some point from another book, but it was up to issue 382. Really? I, I mean, obviously, I knew that there was always there was always a, a market for war books, and Sergeant Rock was definitely one of the more prominent characters. But I did not realize that his book went that long. So, I, I, unless he took over the numbering from another title, which obviously happened all the time, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man issue eighty-four was by Bill Mantlo and Dave Simons. It's interesting to see just how how prolific Bill Mantlo was. I mean, how many books have I already mentioned that he was part of in this particular month? Um, we had Star Wars 77, got Star Wars Return of the Jedi um, number two. So that was uh, telling the story of the of the upcoming or the movie that was just coming out, I guess. I don't remember what time of year it actually came out. Uh, Superman number 389 by Carrie Bates and Paul Kupperberg with uh, Kurt Swan on art. Uh, so it could be more classic uh, in terms of Kurt Swan. There's just something about his, his Superman that just looks so memorable and, and just right. Uh, Sword of the Atom was at its third issue by uh, Jay Knight. And uh, Gil Kane doing the pencils, as well as the cover art. Um, over in the tees, we had The Thing, uh, his book by, written by John Byrne with Ron Wilson on pencils. Uh, you had Al Milgram doing the covers. Uh, and then you have Thor, number 337. Not just any issue, the beginning of Walt Simonson's amazing landmark run, which next year, early in 2020, I'm hoping to sit down with... Um, um, a friend of the show to actually go through Simonson's Thor, um, you know, kind of maybe not in extensive detail, but definitely talking about the the general themes and arcs of that title. And this is where it all kind of started with issue three thirty seven. He both wrote it, penciled it, and inked it. And uh, right from the beginning, not only, he really you know kind of dropped in with a bang because not only does he you know take over the book, but he introduces Beta Ray Bill in issue one. It's kind of crazy. Um, and like even the, the cover design at the time was very revolutionary. You had, well, maybe not revolutionary, but very memorable because you had, um, you had Beta Ray Bill like smashing the, the main cover logo and it kind of splintering everything. It's very memorable. It really grabs your eye. You're like, what is this horse thing that looks like Thor? It's crazy. Um, it's very memorable. Uh, in this particular month as well, you had Uncanny X-Men 175, which is, again, at the time, a very memorable moment. This is by Chris Claremont and uh, John Amita Jr. and Paul Martin-Smith, both doing pencils, with uh, Bob Weitzik on inks. And this is the the wedding of uh, Madeline Pryor and uh, Scott Summers. And this is also um, you know, a great mastermind issue. It's the 20th anniversary issue um, of when the X-Men were first created. Um, yeah, this is... The, big issue to have uh, in the month of my birth and uh, that's basically all I was going to talk about there was an issue of Wonder Woman issue 309 with uh, a story by Dan Mishkin and Don Heck and as well as another story by Joey Cavalieri and Tim Burgard 
And uh, last but not least, there's World's Finest Comics was still uh, chugging along, issue 297. Uh, it was The Pantheon Part 2, The Cosmic Tree, by Ron Fontes, David Anthony Kraft, and Gene Colan on pencils with Bob Smith and Inks. And, um, yeah. It's starring Superman and Batman, continuing the Pantheon saga. They were too much for Batman. Can even Superman survive? There are space-spawned powers. And I like in the bottom left-hand corner, there's a little um, box there that just says, The New DC. There's no stopping us now. Well, um, I mean, it was, they were definitely coming into a, an interesting period with a lot of their different titles, but the 80s would tr- 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 uh, prove to be revolutionary for DC Comics, that's for sure. And they would not... Uh, they would not come out of it unscathed, but they would definitely revolutionize everything that they were doing, their their titles, their approach, their everything after crisis. There's you know there's a reason why we talk about before crisis and and post crisis as such huge uh, moments because that was such a de- demarcation on what the types of stories would be like and what continuity would look like and uh, yeah. So that was everything that came, well, not everything, but that was a lot of what came out, uh, you know, 36 years ago in November 1983. Thanks for joining me for this uh, this journey back in time. You can always email me at comicshenetigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. In the upcoming weeks and months, we hope to have, as I mentioned before, uh, episodes with Ron Friends, um, Ben Rab, who else did I mention? Um... Um, oh, Jim Kruger, of course, of EarthX fame, as well as others who are trying to get uh, J- um, Jordan White back on the show um, and a few others. So um, looking forward to uh, upcoming reviews and uh, that will carry us through the holiday season as well as an upcoming episode about the new Star Wars film, which um, somehow I'm going to be seeing three days in a row, two of which are free. Um, but uh, that'll be an interesting weekend, that is for sure. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>